Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my ever-wonderful, colorful co-host, Jeff Bears. Jeff, how you doing? Doing wonderful. I'm so excited who we're getting to talk to today. We have a legend um, on the – a legend, no joke, on the, on the call today. I mean, we're talking made a, gen, made a genre in thrillers, the medical genre, medical thriller genre. Um, yep. We're going to be joined here by none other than best-selling author Robin Cook. He's going to be talking about Genesis. But real quick, we want to remind everybody, too, that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. So visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information. And also visit suspensemagazine.com for more information on everything we got going on there. So without any further ado, let's bring Mr. Robin Cook onto the show. So Robin, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? It's my pleasure. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, so, I'm, I'm going to fanboy for a while. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since 1977. So, um, yes. book. So this is book 12 in your Jacobson Montgomery series, and it is called Genesis. And you're dealing with a topic that is really in front of everybody's face when you turn on a commercial nowadays with ancestry and the 23andMe and all these things going on that people are taking, you know, DNA and they're finding out where they're from and this and that. But, of course, as a thriller writer, you kind of like to take that and say, let's take this in another direction. So give everybody a little bit about what you got coming on uh, in Genesis here. Well, <clears throat> I was thrilled, as everyone else was, when uh, the Golden State Killer was finally brought to justice by using um, genetic genealogy. And... Um, and I thought, well, you know, I think I should look into this. It's, must, it's really quite, a, quite interesting. Well, when I looked into it, of course, it's, it's actually a, a lot more sophisticated than, than I thought. And uh, I should have had an idea because as a physician, I certainly studied enough about uh, DNA and recombinant uh, uh, that goes on uh, in reproduction, et cetera, to shuffle um, our genes and things. Um, but what I thought is just having it, just or thinking that it's limited to those circumstances where you actually have a perpetrator's DNA. That is like with a rape because um, obviously there's the DNA in, in the semen. Um, I thought, well, you know, they're, they're using this, this process to try to find people's ancestors if they don't know one of the parents. And, uh, and I thought that was a very interesting idea. And I thought, well, could, could it be used if you, if you sort of, in a certain sense, constructed at least half of a perpetrator's DNA? And so that's what happens in Genesis. Um, they have a, an embryo and but they don't have a father. And it's suspicious enough to, at least for one person, to wonder why this body wasn't found by the boyfriend or whatever. And uh, she's the one that then decides to really try to use genetic genealogy to try to find out who, who was the father of this child and find out if they had anything to do with the fact that this young woman dies. So that's Genesis. Well, you, you sort of bring up a question for me, and one of the things I love about your books is you take 
topics like these and write really gripping stories about them, things that, you know, we, we have to think about beyond just what you're talking about. So in this world of privacy concerns, are DNA ancestry sites like this a good thing? Well, um, there is that concern. Um, that and, and I haven't done it. I mean, I haven't sent in my DNA, not for any particular reason. But, I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess mainly the reason I didn't, I, I'm not so, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm not related to royalty. <laughs> so there wasn't that urge. Um, and in fact, um, it's those, those ethnic uh, kind of ideas that I think are, are the most, uh, I have the most question about those. I'm not sure they're as accurate as people would like to think they are. Uh, they're certainly not as accurate as direct um, relationships um, where you can find out someone is, is genealogically related to somebody else and you can determine just how related they are. And by, by seeing how related they are, you can judge how, what kind of distance it is between this individual and the other individual, um, and um, which is what happened with the with the Golden State Killer circumstance. Um, as I said, they had his DNA, and they just said, "All right, I'm going to look at this now expanding library of of uh, genetic." genealogy is there anybody out there that sent in their their kit or you know their dna and created a kit is there anybody out there that shares anything with this dna of this golden state killer and lo and behold they they came across um i think it was a third cousins cousin or so i think so yeah uh, third cousins, right. which meant that they shared a great 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 grandmother uh, grandparents and um, and then you know went on from there I just got very fascinated myself I've been interested in forensic pathology and forensic pathology has not been using this and um, of course they can't really forensic pathology really can't use it um, as I talk about in Genesis is that uh, there's no chain of custody. You know, people send in their supposed DNA, but there's no real way to actually say that that DNA is from that person who sent it in. Um, True. Whereas in, whereas in forensic pathology, there's a definite chain of, of um, that, that they know exactly whose DNA it is that they've taken, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, you can't, you can't use it in the court of law. Um, so, but anyway, um, that just means that, like, for instance, with the Golden State Killer, um, they're, they're going to have to have a trial, and they'll present this evidence. And let's see what, I'm pretty sure, jury will convict him. And um, so, but anyway, um, thank yeah. you. I, I like to what started me writing in the first place because I took all the wrong courses in college. Um, <laughs> maybe we all did. <laughs> but uh, I didn't take any 
any of those courses that might have made me a better person, like literature or <laughs> history. <laughs> um, and in fact, I wanted to go to medical school, and I, I had to get very good grades, otherwise I wouldn't be allowed in. And uh, so I was a chemistry, math, physics major. And um, But when I got to medical school, I realized that there was a gap between what people knew about medicine and and what existed in medicine and the fact that I could see that bioscience was picking up speed so this gap was just going to get larger because people generally don't pick up scientific journals and uh, read them. Uh, so yeah. I thought, well, why not use entertainment? Why not try using entertainment to get people to not only have fun, but as you pointed out earlier, that you like my books because um, not only are they fun, but uh, that you actually learn something real in the process. And in Genesis, yep. it is this, this uh, genetic genealogy, which um, I think is worth the general public knowing something about. It's those people who have sent in their DNA and have looked into this. They, they actually know quite a bit. I, I was very impressed with what a lot of people who have done this who are not, haven't been, uh, hadn't taken biology in, in college or, or whatnot, probably had it in high school, but um, they really had a good grasp of what it was. And uh, so anyway, um, hmm. mostly what I have written about is medical issues. Um, this is not, is not necessarily a medical issue, um, but it is an issue that, that can be used in terms of forensic pathology. Well, talk a bit about how you, well, let me, let me back up a second. You wrote Year of the Intern, and then there was a gap, and then from what I understand, you, you talked about studying in college. You actually studied bestsellers at the time and crafted notes to figure out how to write a best-selling novel, and that's how you came up with Goma? Yes. Um, that is true. And uh, a lot of people think, well, gosh, you can't do that. You can't, you can't study how to write a bestseller. Well, I disagree. Um, I think one of the things that I learned in my education is how to approach a problem. <laughs> my problem was that I had no idea how to write a book that was fun to read. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's key. Your book has to be fun to read. And unfortunately, my first book, Year of the Intern, was interesting, but it wasn't fun to read. Uh, at mm. least I don't think so. I mean, in some respects, it was fun. It was fun for me, uh, but not too many other people voted that it was fun back when it first came out because it's now a very rare book. <laughs> um, mm. And uh, uh, But I, I thought that the concept was still interesting. Why couldn't entertainment um, uh, be able to um, teach people things that they ought to know? And certainly, we all ought to know something about medicine because we're all going to be patients at one point or another. And um, so um, I decided, well, let me, let me try to figure it out. I had never read a bestseller um, after... I tried to write one, and it wasn't until after I did that 
I actually got a whole bunch of bestsellers and read a bunch of bestsellers. And it's very clear, if you do that, that bestsellers are generally fun to read. And, uh, right. and then what, what makes a book fun to read? Well, you people in Suspense Magazine must have a pretty good idea because suspense works. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, that's what I had, to, I had to figure out. I had to learn by reading other books and, um, and, and trying to use the techniques that people had, had honed over the years in terms of making fun reading and just apply it to um, a medical circumstance where there would be uh, some mystery, there'd be some thrilling aspects. And, but in the end, what would happen is that the people would learn something. And I tell you, people learned a lot when they read Coma. Um, yeah. they, had oh, no yeah. idea, <laughs> they had no idea what, what really anesthesia was. And right. They didn't, they didn't give it much thought. And yet after Coma, they gave it a lot of thought, which they, you should. And uh, um, the other main message of, of coma was stay out of the damn hospital unless you really need to go. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of had a moral value to it at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and, and it was, it was, in a, it was a, a great learning experience for me and uh, it made me appreciate other bestsellers and um, and uh, so, and had I not done that, I certainly wouldn't have continued to do what I've been doing. I mean, um, Genesis is is now is my thirty seventh book, and I have to wow. say that that's thirty seven more books than I ever ever thought I would write. <laughs> <laughs> But the one thing that, of course, you know, you, you pretty much are the founder of the medical thriller genre. I mean, you started, and Coma is probably one of the top 20 greatest books I've ever read of any book. No matter what genre, I would have put Coma as one of my top 20 favorite books of, of all time. And when you're having to, to battle the medical part, so you can dumb it down for people like me, but then you also have the, the character part when you're talking the protagonist and the antagonist, and you're having to kind of bring all of those things together. When you're working on a book like Genesis and you're doing the DNA and you're doing those types of things, how are you able to kind of craft the villain to take something that people think is just so benign and so wonderful, but then turning it into it like, you know what, maybe I should stop and think where exactly does this stuff go, and how does it affect me, maybe? Well, um, I think that uh, I, I actually don't dumb it down that much. <laughs> You're not giving yourself enough credit. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I don't know him. Are, <laughs> yeah, you don't know him. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Readers, I think general readers, uh, particularly people who read a lot of books, um, are really a lot more capable of, of understanding uh, even relatively sophisticated material if it's presented in a fun way and in a way that, that catches their interest. And as we were just talking before, there's a bit of thrill to it, there's a bit of mystery to it, etc. It's fun. And if some of the detail is actually part of the mystery. So you actually have to understand it to some extent 
Uh, otherwise, it's not going to be fun. Um, and yet, that's the best kind of learning there is, is to make it somehow entertaining or fun or applicable. Um, it's that for me when I was, for instance, when I was studying medicine, it there was a huge change when it went from basic science to actually clinical medicine because clinical medicine in comparison is really fun and because you're dealing with people and uh, you're dealing with um, you know, personalities, etc. Well, it's the same thing in writing a novel. You, you have to populate your novel with, with, um, with real people or you try to. And in fact, one of my interests um, when I was studying medicine, I, I, I thought that psychiatry was very interesting because what's more interesting than the human brain and, and, and the personalities, whatever. And um, uh, I, just did, I just knew I would never, I couldn't be a psychiatrist because I just don't have the patience for it. Um, in fact, I wanted to be a surgeon because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I want something to happen. <laughs> and when you're a surgeon, something happens. And, uh, um, but anyway, um, right from the beginning, I realized that uh, characterization um, was an extremely important part of, of a thriller. At least I think it should be. And even my first, that first big book was, was Coma. Um, the character of the young woman, who one of the leitmotifs of the book was the fact that I thought that we should have a lot more women in medicine. When I was in medical school, we only had five or six women in our class, and I thought that was a that was a disaster because if stereotypes held at all, um, that women actually make better doctors than men. I mean, when you get sick, do you want to be around your father or your mother? <laughs> Just think about it. And, yeah. and uh, there's no, you know, your father says, you know, kind of get up, go. Get, what, are you, what are you lying in bed for? You know, get out of here. And right. the mother's completely different. Oh, I'm sorry, you feel well, what's your symptoms, et cetera. And, um, so, and so that was one of the ideas, the reason that I chose a, a woman as my main character. I thought it was taking a risk um, because here I was being thrown into the deep end of the pool trying to write a, a thriller, and I'd never written one in my life. I had just read a bunch of them, and uh, so I was taking on a, a little bit extra of a burden, but I thought it was really worthwhile. Um, and it, I think it did have a big effect. A lot of the mail that I got from Coma was from young women and um, and I actually I got a lot of letters saying that women went into medicine because of coma isn't that interesting you know you wow. story. that's yeah. cool and, yeah it was it was really cool and how many doctors started writing because of you too I mean just think about I mean, it's, you have to think about I mean that's amazing well that's true I think I did start a lot of uh, people writing and um, yeah. But I have to say that um, that I've been very lucky in in this places where I've been able to train and go to school, et cetera. And that's mostly because I've 
I really worked hard and I really studied. I, and um, however, uh, I was uh, at Harvard doing my um, second residency and that's when my first book came out. And I have to tell you that I got a lot of ribbing that I was in the Harvard system and I had written fiction. <laughs> and, um, but... Uh, uh, who's laughing now? Yeah, who's laughing now? I mean, no, that's funny. In fact, <laughs> I have... <laughs> who's laughing now? No pun intended, but... No pun intended, but isn't it great to just stick the needle back into them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, it was because, um, I mean, I tried to explain to them why I did it. And, in fact, that first book, a few of my professors said that, uh, that they also, not only was it fiction, but it was, it was complaining fiction. That my first book was an attempt to suggest that the way we train, train physicians in this country is not, it's not appropriate for maintaining an altruistic attitude, and which I, I think is very important. Um, and because medical training is done in a, in a way that's, that's, there's a lot of hazing that goes on. There's a lot of, it's very competitive. It's very, as soon as you even decide you're going to, you want to study medicine, it's very competitive. And, um, I remember when I was a first year in college, I thought this, I liked this one fellow a lot, and I thought he liked me too. And um, I asked him if he wanted to room the next year, and he said, no. And I said, why? He said, because you get two good grades. And he was also um, pre-med. But that gives you an idea that um, it's not conducive to interaction and in fact, the competition gets worse and worse the higher or the farther you get. You think that once you get to medical school, you could sort of relax and then just concentrate on becoming a doctor. But the competition doesn't. It goes up. And um, the first, first day of medical school, we were told that five of us out of the 120 would be asked to stay. And, and the implication, of course, were the five top students in the class would be asked to stay and uh, and yet medicine is actually a team sport and um, but we're training doctors the wrong way we're training them to sort of hate each other and fight with each other and trying to get ahead and uh, so that's what my first book was about and my Harvard professors didn't like the idea that I was sort of written a complaining book because they all had succeeded, and most of them had trained at places like Harvard or Columbia or whatever. And um, and they thought that it's good, it's good. You know, I did it. I went through it. And the young guys have to go through it too. That kind of attitude. Wow, um, a real quick coma story for you. Um, so I read the book. Oh, this I loved funny. it, and I. And I saw the movie, loved it, Jean-Vier Vujold, Michael Douglas. And the day before, well, the, the day I watched the movie, I had surgery scheduled the next day to fix my ear. I had an eardrum perforation. And I remember, you know, being terrified of the movie, that doctor saying I specifically requested OR8. 
and that's where all the <laughs> horrible things are going on. I love that. So I'm in the in the operating room. They're putting the mask on me, and they're telling me what's going to happen and everything else. And the doctor comes in and says, "Oh, hey, oh," and then looks at one of the people as I'm starting to drift off. He says, "I specifically requested OR8," <laughs> and I thought, "I'm not going to wake up." <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I, um, I had to I had to tell you that. <laughs> but well, um, and 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 I understand that because it, I was at the Harvard Teaching Hospital, the Mass General, and I wrote coma and I called it the the Boston um, Memorial Hospital, not the Mass General, uh, <laughs> trying yeah. to avoid. But everybody knew it was the Mass General Hospital because that's where I was a resident, and. Um, but what they had to do after coma came out is they had to eliminate operating room number eight. So oh, number eight. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> crazy enough. And, uh, well, so, I'm, so I'm curious with um, you going through medical school and doing all stuff in your writing, at what point did you say, you know, I can do this writing thing and I don't have to do the medical anymore. What was what was that point like, and what book was it? Well, it, it, you know, it never happened. Um, and to oh. this day, I still I'm still more confident of myself as a doctor than I am confident of myself as a writer. Um, Thirty-seven books. Time, okay. <laughs> each time I start another book, I think, oh, can I do this again? Uh, I'm not real sure, and. Um, Whereas with the medicine, I was very confident. I mean, I wasn't confident for many, many years. It, it, it somehow it, it eventually happens that you really suddenly start feeling confident as a doctor. And um, I mean, I I was essentially in training until I was 36. And um, uh, so, um, but I still think of myself more as a doctor who happens to write rather than the other way around. Okay, wow. That's amazing. So do you think that with all the technology and things that we have going on today, of course, it, it lends to great stories, but do you think that that kind of hinders a little bit of the progress of medicine? No. No. In fact, no? the technology is really encouraging. Um, I mean, we, we have the opportunity to practice medicine so much better today than just even like 10 or 20 years ago or or when I went to medical school, et cetera. No, it's, it's changing dramatically. In fact, one of my books called Cell <clears throat> is a book that's suggesting that um, the, your, your doctor is actually going to be your uh, smartphone. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and that will you know it will it will really work. And uh I think it's going to work great. I was uh unfortunately there was that episode with that biotechnology company that was thought or proposing that they were going to be able to do blood chemistries with just a single drop of blood. And um, but that was turned out to be almost uh, you know uh, uh, a fraud, 
and a lot of people lost huge amounts of money. But that's too bad because I thought at that time when I wrote Sell, that was looking like it was going to be possible. And um, to get that kind of chemistry available with your smartphone, since your smartphone can be monitoring your heart function and all sorts of things, and also it's it's continuous. It's not intermittent. Um, I think most people who need kind of a continuous kind of uh, reminder. You know, if people go to their doctor once or twice a year and they're told, well, your blood pressure is up, you have to do this, 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 and this, they leave and they do that for about two weeks. <laughs> right. And then they start sliding back. Whereas when your phone or your wearable devices can constantly remind you that, you know, your or or tell you that your blood alcohol now is point zero eight. Don't or, eat the broccoli, or don't eat the cookies. Eat the broccoli. <laughs> or yeah, or uh, I can tell you're smoking a cigarette. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, it's it, there's just real opportunities, I think, and we have to we have to take advantage of all of those. So, so my last question, when, when you write a book like Coma, when you finished, did you know that you hit a grand slam? I had a pretty good idea. Hoping? Okay. I had a pretty good idea. But, you know, when I was writing Coma, um, I, was, I was a resident in the daytime. <laughs> I was doing that at night. And um, I was actually fearful. Since I had done the research and I came up, and I knew some techniques now for establishing mystery and, and establishing a thriller aspect and all that sort of stuff. And then I came up with the concept, and that is um, the fact that, that organs for transplantation um, were going to have a, a real value and that medicine is, is being overtaken by business. It's, that's really been my recurrent theme through the whole time I've been writing, that the concept, I was so sure that someone was going to come up with it before I got the book out. <laughs> um, wow. And, uh, so I thought... I get, that was well, probably just a fear in your head. That was probably just a fear in your head, but... Well, yeah. I, I still feel that way now when I have good ideas um, that somebody else is going to come up with the idea. And um, uh, so, but anyway, um, I'm already working on the next book. I'm sure you, I was just, I'm sure you are. It's already probably in the hopper. <laughs> this, and then the, the thing that people don't realize is that Genesis was probably done about eight months to a year ago. So you're having to talk about a book that you haven't really touched for about a year that is now just coming out because you're already in the next one. So that's, I don't think a lot of fans realize that that's kind of difficult because you're in the next one already. You're, you're in book 38. You know, Genesis well, was done and finished and in, the, in the can a year ago. No, it wasn't. Oh, wasn't that far? I do I do, I do things quite differently. Uh, no, oh. um, in fact, um, I finished the final copy editing of Genesis only a month or two ago. Wow, interesting. And yeah, 
And um, no, I'm doing a book a year. I can't. I mean, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I. That's why. I'm just trying to think up the storyline now. I want to do a book on um, another book. I've done one book that dealt with health insurance. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there, I did a book called Marker. And um, that combined a little bit because it, it involved DNA also. Um, that insurance companies just wanted to get rid of people that had markers for um, bad illnesses. So why don't we just get rid of them? <laughs> that was the wow. concept of, um, and it gives you an idea of the mindset of health insurance companies because they're there to make money. They're not there to take care of us. And uh, so mm-hmm. I want to do another one because health insurance is suddenly front and center. And yeah. uh, but sure. I have to come up with a story. I have to, I have to come up with a story that that will that will show this in, in a very interesting and, and um, fun manner. That, and that's the challenge. Um, yeah. So. I get it. Uh, and, and definitely, I, I mean, when you're, when you're writing and you're in a professional, you know, genre like that, professional field, it, finding the storylines is always the, you know, probably the hardest thing to kind of do. Um. But, you know, it is, and, and yet in some respects it's the most fun. So because this is the time that I do the research, yeah. I have to tell you that I'm the only bestseller writer. I can say this with pretty much confidence. Um, I'm the only bestseller writer who sold, has sold hundreds of millions of books, and I have no staff. Um, you all on your own. I do everything myself. Every bit of research, every bit of whatever. Um, just a week ago, I was in New York meeting with the man who who runs the New York City Police Department um, uh, SWAT organization, um, emergency service unit, and um, with it idea in mind that my next character is going to be someone who went through that training. And um, so... Wow. Um, it's, oh, I can't it's wait. Stressful. It's stressful, but uh, at the same time, this is the fun part. When you actually write the book, that's mm-hmm. real work. <laughs> um, in contrast to, I think a lot of people have this sort of idea that, oh, must be so nice and easy to be a writer. You can just you just have to be there and write. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, well, uh, that's the hard part. Uh, it requires yeah. a lot of um, uh, discipline, and uh, discipline is not easy. I think everybody who's gone to school and college and had to write papers, they found that. It was always a little difficult, and they were always wanted to do something other than write the paper. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you keep putting it off and reason, putting it off and putting it off. The reason is, and here's my – now, this has not been studied. It's my theory, is that we use our brain in lots of different ways. Certain things that we use our brains for require a lot more energy 
and uh, a lot more activity. And I think writing is one of them. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, it uses a lot more of your brain than sitting there watching a movie, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, because there's, you're using your all the sections of your brain when you do this writing. And uh, I think that's what kind of makes people tired when they do it. Because you think, yeah, I've been sitting here for five hours. Why am I exhausted? Right. Um, and yet I think, it's, I think you're, 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 using, you're using a lot of energy. And it's all in, in the various sections of your brain, your memory sections, the motor sections, the visual sections. I mean, everything is being used all at the same time. That's a little pet Well, I'm theory. not going to argue with you. I'll tell <laughs> like you that. that. No, I agree, I agree yeah. actually, yeah. yeah. I agree. So, Robin, um, the best place for everyone to find out about all your information is probably your website, robincook.com. Well, yeah, it, uh, it has uh, a lot of information, and it has, uh, uh, it has some biographical material, um, which I think people can find interesting because I've been a very lucky boy. Um, in that uh, I, I, I was the first one in my family to go to, go to college. And, um, and not only was I the first one to go to college, but um, I, was able, I was able to go to very, uh, lots of really good colleges. And, okay. uh, and I, 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 but then I had to work. Uh, I had to have gainful employment through college and medical school and but that provided me such opportunity you can't believe it I mean I remember feeling sorry for myself and noticing my my fellow medical students who didn't have to work I worked every night um, running a lab as a medical student and um, but the the benefits that that afforded me um, were unbelievable because um, I got asked um, to set up the same lab for the Cousteau group in France as a medical student. As a poor medical student, I spent all my summers in France setting up this lab for them and uh, doing diving neurological research at at the Museo Cinegraphique in Monaco. As a as a destitute poor medical student, I mean, talk about luck. Exactly. <laughs> and while I was on the Calypso, which is the Cousteau's ship, um, mm-hmm. we were visited by a very high-ranking naval officer, and I sort of helped him a little bit while he was there. And when he left, he put his arm around me and said, "If you ever find yourself in the Navy, give me a call." And of course, I had no intention of going in the Navy, and little did I know because of the Vietnam situation, I ended up getting drafted after I finished my surgical residency. (laughs) And so because I met that guy on the Calypso and I called him up because I had been drafted by the Navy, assigned to the Marines, and I was going to Da Nang. And you know what that was like in 1966? Probably not good. I was born in 70. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So anyway, I called him up. And so I ended up spending my entire um, naval career um, doing diving research. And uh, I was on a nuclear submarine. And that's where I wrote my first book. 
and this is all is is in my biography in in my website. Uh, so, Year of the Intern was written underwater. That's so cool. That's <laughs> Not amazing. too many people can say that. Written <laughs> true. underwater. Wow. Yeah, on a nuclear submarine in the South China Sea. And, um, so, uh, for whatever it is, whether it's a good book or a bad book, it's a unique book. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Robin, hey, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure for both of us I, just to speak with you and just to hear the stories. We could go on and on. I'm just sitting here just listening. I'm like, I don't really have any questions anymore. I just want to listen. <laughs> but <laughs> it's been but awesome. I want to let everybody know, the book is called Genesis, and it is book 12 uh, in your Stapleton Montgomery series. And so we wish you nothing but the best with the book. Um, would love to have you back on, of course, next year when you have your next one on. And, again, thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure. One thing I can tell you guys, and that no one else knows this. Is okay, we won't tell we nobody. Probably, we probably <laughs> will start filming a new TV series of Jack and Lori this coming year. Really? Oh, oh awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. On a streaming so, site? Or you, you can't say which, which platform yet? Uh, we, we don't. Uh, in fact, we don't care. Um, oh, you're because, gonna okay. You're gonna film the pilot and then shop it. Uh, I think that we're gonna have a lot of people knocking on our doors. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that'll be a good one. Uh, oh, it's between well, I'm, you know, I'm all watching. of them. I would prefer myself. I will prefer um, uh, cable because it it makes it easier to write. Because uh, you know, network um, TV is still has some. Uh, limitations in terms of what you can say and what you can show. That's right. uh, a little bit old-fashioned. Not a little bit. It's very old-fashioned. And um, so, but I, you know, there's such a demand for good content, so we're not really, we're not concerned. And um, so. Um, yeah, that'll get picked up. I could, I could easily see that one. Getting, oh, I yeah. Mean, a Hulu, Netflix. I mean, even just regular TV. I mean, all the stations that are out there. I mean, yeah, I, I would have no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, because, you know, a lot of people like forensics, um, as evidenced by the fact that CSI was so popular, even though CSI was totally false. I mean, there's no right. such people like that. And <laughs> yet people were willing to watch it because they like the idea of forensics. Where, and then they watch all 17 spinoffs. Yeah. yeah, and whereas yeah. medical examiners, I mean, they're a real people. And they, yeah. Um, they do it, and uh, uh, and it's. Um, I couldn't do it for my my life. I did it. I took I took a course in forensic pathology so I could write those books, <laughs> um, and uh, spent a week spent a week doing it in uh, Miami at the medical examiner's office, and um, wow! So I could write it and and write it the way it really is, rather than you know some makeup sort of way wow well, thank you john and jeff thank you yes oh, we appreciate it so all right well robin awesome. again thank you so much and we wish you nothing but the best and we will talk with you soon